Jesus said, the time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe the gospel. Jesus prayed, our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Jesus said, I must preach the good news of the kingdom of God. For I was sent for this purpose. As I read these, keep in mind the phrase kingdom of God. Jesus sent his disciples out to proclaim the kingdom of God. That's Luke 9, 1 through 2. Jesus taught, fear not, little flock, for it is your father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. Luke 12, 32. Jesus taught, the kingdom of God is in the midst of you. Luke 17, 21. Upon eating the last supper, Jesus said to the disciples gathered with him, he said, I will not eat this meal again until it is fulfilled in the kingdom of God. And he said, I will not drink of the fruit of the vine until the kingdom of God comes. Luke twenty-two sixteen through 18. What and where exactly is the kingdom of God? The scriptures seem to say it's here, but they also seem to point to it's out there. They, they seem to point to its present reality. And they also seem to talk about a future existence, a future reality. They seem a little bit vague and undefined in certain places. Jesus uses the phrase of the kingdom of God over 60 times in the gospel, in the gospels. And Dr. Luke uses it as bookends in the book of Acts. He uses it in chapter 1 and he uses it in chapter 8. And so as we close out the book of Acts today, I think we need to dig into trying to understand better what is the kingdom of God? And what does it have to do with us? Why does it matter for us? What does God have to, what, what is God doing when, it, when Jesus says that the kingdom of God is at hand? What does that mean? What does it mean practically for us and what does it mean for our neighbors? What does it mean for our city? What does it mean for our world that is spinning out of control? What does it mean for the kingdoms of the world, the nations of the world which are in conflict with one another? The scriptures tell us about wars and rumors of wars and we turn on the news and we see the world at war and we hear Jesus saying the kingdom of God is at hand and the kingdom of God comes with peace and prosperity and goodness, with love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, and self-control. And so what exactly is the kingdom of God? Where is the kingdom of God and what does the kingdom of God have for us and mean for us. That's what we're going to look at this morning. I'm going to ask you to stand as I read Acts chapter 1, verses 1 through 8, to the beginning of the book that we've been in. That's on page 909 in the Pew Bible. And then we're going to read Acts chapter 28, verses 30 and 31, the last two verses in the book of Acts, which we've been studying for the last couple of months. Let me pray before we read. Father, we do pray that you would speak for your servants are listening. In your name, amen. Acts chapter 1, verses 1 through 8. Dr. Luke writes, In the first book, O Theophilus, I have dealt with all that Jesus began to do and teach. And that's the gospel according to Luke. A couple books earlier in your Bible. So this is a two-part letter that Luke wrote. The first one dealt with all that Jesus began to do and teach. Picking it up in verse 2 until the day when he was taken up after he had given commands through the Holy Spirit to the apostles whom he had chosen. To them he presented himself alive after his suffering by many proofs, appearing to them during 40 days and speaking about the kingdom. 
of God. And while staying with them, he ordered them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the Father, which he said, You heard from me. For John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. So when they had come together, they asked him, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? He said to them, It is not for you to know the times or seasons that the Father has fixed by his own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. And let's flip to Acts 28, verse 30 and 31 on page 938. This is the Apostle Paul now in Rome. We've been tracking him for the last couple weeks, and now he's sitting on house arrest in Rome. Verse 30. This is how the book closes. Dr. Luke writes, He lived there, Paul lived there for two whole years at his own expense and welcomed all who came to him proclaiming the kingdom of God and teaching about the Lord Jesus Christ with all, with all boldness and without hindrance. This is the word of the Lord. You may have a seat. All right, so if we look back in Acts chapter 1, as, we, as we're trying to figure out what is the kingdom of God, what does it mean for us, does it matter, and why does Luke, Luke bookend the gospel um, the, the book of Acts here, why does he bookend it with the kingdom of God? Verse 3 of chapter 1 shows us that Jesus continued preaching and teaching about the kingdom of God upon his resurrection. So when Jesus was on the earth, he was teaching about the kingdom of God. The Gospels tells us, tells us this. Over 60 times, he himself uses the phrase, the kingdom of God, that is recorded. But he used it many more times than that, we assume, because there's, there's passages that say that time wouldn't allow, that space couldn't handle the amount of books that would be written if all of Jesus' words were recorded. So Jesus is bent on continuing to talk and teach about the kingdom of God, saying the kingdom of God is at hand, praying, Lord, your kingdom come, your will be done, saying, fear not, little, fo- little flock, for the Father will give you the kingdom and saying the kingdom is in the midst of you. This is Jesus' teaching. And now here, Dr. Luke shows us that after he was risen from the dead, before he ascended it back into heaven, he continued to teach his followers, anyone who would listen, about the kingdom of God. That was Jesus' primary message, the kingdom, the kingdom, the kingdom, the kingdom of God. And then we see in verse 6 that though Jesus continued to talk about it, this was his main teaching point, The disciples don't get it. Verse 6, it says, So when they had come together, they asked him, this is his disciples, they asked him, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? The disciples are are, are confused about the kingdom of God. They still don't get it. This is pre-Pentecost. In in, uh, Acts chapter 2 is Pentecost when the Holy Spirit comes. But before the Holy Spirit came and revealed to them the truth and helped them to understand and experience what the kingdom of God was, they were confused. They thought it would be a top-down, one-world order, that Jesus would reign from Jerusalem on a throne, as the video depicted. He didn't, though, right? He was raised up on a cross. And so the disciples are confused about what the kingdom of God is. Will the kingdom of God bring me comfort? Will the kingdom of God bring me success? Will the kingdom of God allow me to be in a place of honor and authority because I know the king? So, So if Jesus ushers in the kingdom of God, that has to have 
great benefits for me socially and politically and financially. But that's not the case with the kingdom of God. They say, will you restore it to Israel here at this time? And he says, it's not for you to know the times or the seasons. The Father has fixed by his own authority. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea and Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. And then the rest of the book of Acts unfolds. That actually gives us a pattern for the book. So we spend the first 11 or 12 chapters in Jerusalem. The gospel is growing. There's growth of the gospel in Jerusalem as people are coming to know Jesus. And then the apostles spread out. They're scattered from persecution out into Judea and Samaria. And the gospel begins to grow in the surrounding region around Jerusalem. And then from there, it goes to the ends of the earth. And so that's what we've been looking at the last couple months, how the gospel grows through the world from Jerusalem into Judea, Judea and Samaria and from Judea and Samaria into the ends of the earth. That's been the last couple months. And then we come back to Acts chapter 28, verse 30 and 31. And now Paul, after the gospel had gone from Jerusalem into Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth, Paul is now in, in the, the most powerful city in the world. He's in Rome when Rome ruled the world. So the gospel, the good news of Jesus, the, the message about the kingdom of God has in fact spread around the world. It's gone from Jerusalem into Judea and Samaria into the ends of the earth and now Paul sits on house arrest in the dominant city in the world. And what is he doing on house arrest? He's proclaiming the kingdom of God. So while the disciples didn't get the kingdom in Acts chapter 1 verse 6, they think the kingdom is a political thing. The Holy Spirit comes in Acts chapter 2 and they start to get the kingdom. They start to understand what the kingdom is. And so they go out in the power of the Holy Spirit proclaiming the gospel, proclaiming the kingdom of God without hindrance, with all boldness. And it goes around the world and now Paul sits in Rome and he continues this mission. Proclaiming the kingdom of God like Jesus did, understanding what the kingdom of God is and going out with that message, welcoming people into his home and proclaiming it with all boldness and without hindrance. That's where we find ourselves at the end of the book of Acts. So what exactly is the kingdom of God? We know that the disciples were confused about it until they received the Holy Spirit and began to taste and see that the Lord is good until they began to partner with the work of God through the power of the Holy Spirit to see what a true kingdom looks like. It's not a top-down kingdom, but it's a bottom-up. It's people being humbled by the gospel going out to serve. So what is the kingdom of God? It is the rule and reign of God among all people through the authority and the commission of Jesus Christ. It is the rule and reign of God among all the peoples of the earth through the authority and the commission of Jesus Christ. In Matthew 28, 18 through 20, Jesus said, All authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. So what is the kingdom? It's, it's all. All authority in heaven and earth. The kingdom of God isn't heaven alone. The kingdom of God isn't earth alone. Jesus says, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, all the peoples of the earth, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. So what is the kingdom of God? It's God's rule and reign among all the peoples of the earth 
through the authority and the commission of Jesus Christ. Go, make disciples. All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me, therefore go. The kingdom of God is the reign of God among us in the person of Jesus Christ. It's the rule and reign of God that brings healing to the nations. When we talk about the kingdom of God, it's, it's God's good plan and good desire bringing healing to the nations. The nations which are killing themselves and killing one another. This is true of the kingdom of God. He brings healing. Look at verse 26 and 27 of Acts chapter 28. So Paul here is speaking to Jewish leaders in Rome. And he's quoting the prophet Isaiah. The prophet Isaiah said, Go to this people and say, You will indeed hear but never understand. And you will indeed see, but never perceive. For this people's hearts has grown dull, and their ears they can barely hear. And their eyes have closed, lest they should see with their eyes, and hear with their ears, and understand with their hearts, and turn, and I would heal them. That's what the kingdom of God does. It brings healing. When it's rejected, it's because we, we see, but we don't perceive. We hear, but we don't understand, and our hearts have grown cold and dull when we reject the kingdom of God or the gospel message. But if we turn, if we repent, if we turn from our sin and turn to God, it says that he brings healing, healing for us individually, and healing for the nations. The kingdom of God is the rule and reign of God that brings healing to the nations. If you turn on the news and you're distraught with, with wars and rumors of wars, what's the answer? It's not electing the right officials, though there might be a time and a place for that. It's not going to war and having a stronger army or a better army. It's bringing the kingdom of God to bear here and now in this earth. The kingdom of God is the rule and reign of God bringing healing to the nations. That is the answer for the world that is spinning out of control. It's Jesus Christ, the true and only. The kingdom of God is the rule and reign of God present in the lives of those who believe. Okay, so while there is a component to the kingdom of God that it is in the future, there will be something realized. Theologians will often say we live in an already but not yet state. So, Jesus has already accomplished our salvation. We are justified. We are being sanctified, but we're not yet glorified. And Jesus is ruling and reigning as king right now. As he said in Matthew 28, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. That is true. He has all authority. Yet, it seems like things are spinning out of control, right? So, there's this already not yet reality. But what we need to remember is that the kingdom of God is the reign and rule of God present in the lives of those who believe. Revelation 21 says that there will come a day where there's no more tears or crying or suffering or pain anymore for the former things have passed away. Behold, I am making all things new, says God. We will be in his presence. He will be with us. That's the not yet. But the kingdom of God is also in already. He is starting to make those things true in our lives here and now. God doesn't say, Christian who placed your faith in me, good luck. I'm going to keep some distance from you. And when you die or when I return, then, then you'll get to experience my presence. Though we do experience suffering and tears and pain here and now, God is present with us if we've placed our faith in him through his son, Jesus Christ. The rule and reign of God, the kingdom of God, means that those who believe have the Holy Spirit living and dwelling within them, within us. 
The kingdom of God is God reestablishing the joy and the fellowship of the Garden of Eden. Before sin entered the world, Adam and Eve had perfect fellowship and union with God the Father. The garden was like the kingdom of God. They had this unhindered relationship with God the Father, direct access to Him, no sin to get in the way. And then sin entered the world, and it created destruction and confusion and division and separation between man and woman created in the image of God and God Himself. What do Adam and Eve do? They clothe themselves. They hide from God. And so the kingdom of God ushered in through the person of Jesus Christ is him reestablishing the joy and the fellowship that we had with him in the Garden of Eden. When we are baptized, as we saw last week, we had baptisms here. We're baptized in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. That means we are put into a relationship with God. He's not out there and we're not down here and we're disconnected. And as I said last week, we're just trying hard to follow behind him. He's in us. We're in him. We're baptized into him. We're not baptized behind him. We're baptized into him. So the kingdom of God is the rule and reign of God present in the lives of those who believe. As Dr. Luke talks about the kingdom of God here, the last two verses, Paul is proclaiming the kingdom of God and teaching about the Lord Jesus Christ with all boldness. He's telling those in Rome, whoever comes to him, he welcomes them into their home, and he says, the kingdom of God is at hand. Jesus came and told us that. And then Jesus went upon the cross and died in our place for our sins. He, he overcame sin and death in the grave, and he sent his spirit. And you can now experience the eternal life, the abundant life, the kingdom of God here and now. God wants to reestablish joy and fellowship with you. Be baptized into him, believe in him, and feel the kingdom of God being given birth in your life. That's what the kingdom of God is. Where is the kingdom of God? I think this is something that, that we wrestle with, and I think sometimes we are confused with the kingdoms of the world and the kingdoms of God. I mean, here in America, it says, in God we trust in our money, right? And that's, that's a good thing. It would be great if that were true. But sometimes we confuse the kingdom of God with a top-down kingdom. We think that if God is going to reign and rule the way that we think he should, it's got to be through political powers. It's got to be through armies. It's got to be through power. And so sometimes we confuse where the kingdom of God is, thinking it's in a certain place or a certain country or a certain nation or a certain kind of church or a certain denomination. But the kingdom of God isn't contained to a singular nation or a singular people. It's not about an ethnicity. It's not about a denomination. It's not about a country. It's about God ruling all the peoples of the world. Psalm 103.19 says, The Lord establishes his throne in the heavens, and his kingdom rules over all. Over all. Where is the kingdom of God? In all places. That's why you can go to China and find someone who looks different than you, who thinks different than you, who speaks a different language than you, but is part of the same kingdom and people that you are a part of. That's why you can go to Africa and have the same experience. That's why they can come here and find brothers and sisters in Christ, because of the kingdom of God is being established in all places. It's a universal reign. 
As the Dutch theologian Abraham Kuyper famously said, there is not one square inch in the whole domain of human existence over which Christ, who is sovereign over all, does not cry, mine. Christ is over all and in all, and he reigns over the earth. Psalm, 20, Psalm 24, 1 says, The earth is the Lord's, and the fullness thereof, the world and all who dwell therein. The kingdom of God is here and now. It's inside this time and space existence as we know it. God is bringing about his kingdom here in our lives, in our church, in our cities, in our communities, in our world. It's here and now. It's also in the future, outside of space and time as we know it. So it's not an either or, it's a both and. It's an already not yet reality. So we can experience the good news, the gospel, the kingdom of God here and now. But it's also this future that exists out of time and space as we even know it. That's the God that we serve. His thoughts are higher than our thoughts. His ways are higher than our ways. We can't imagine eternity. You can't do it. I've heard people try to explain it, and it's just overwhelming. It's like if a, if, a, if a seagull picks up a grain of sand on the east coast and flies it over to the west coast and drops it, goes back, gets one more grain of sand, and does that until the east coast is emptied of sand, that's eternity. I, I'm still trying to put eternity into a time frame, and I can't even imagine that time frame. We can't understand eternity, but the kingdom of God is both here and now and future. It's in time and space as we know it, and it's outside of time and space as we know it, because God is God, and we answer to him. He doesn't answer to us. It's an already not yet reality where God rules and reigns. Where is the kingdom of God? It's in the hearts of those who believe. It's in our midst. The very kingdom of God is within the hearts of those who believe. Listen to how Colossians 1.15 says it. The Apostle Paul writes, Let the peace of Christ rule, where, anyone know it? In your heart. Let the peace of Christ rule in your heart. So the kingdom of God is Jesus Christ ruling in your heart. Isn't that good news? What, what do our hearts do? The Bible actually says that our heart is wicked above all things. In fact, just a little side note, I, was, I just think church signs can be pretty humorous. Anyone else? You ever drive by a church sign where it has a little phrase? Um, I found a church sign book in our office a couple weeks ago, and I was flipping through it, and one of the sign suggestions was, never make a decision without consulting your heart. I'm like, that's not biblical. It's in our church office, but it's not even biblical because the Bible says the heart is wicked above all things. It can't be trusted. Our hearts lead us to sin, but here's what it's saying about being in Christ and Christ being in us. The kingdom of God taking birth in our hearts means that the peace of Christ can rule in your heart. Amen? Our hearts are wicked, they're deceived, they're flaky, and yet if we're in Christ, the kingdom of God is taking birth in our life and in our heart, and Christ can rule there with peace. You don't need to be anxious. You don't need to be worried. You can have peace in your heart because Christ has control and rules and reigns there. Where is the kingdom of God? It is experienced when we open our homes. It's, it's experienced when those in Christ open up their homes, open up their lives, and open up their mouths in the name, love, and truth of Jesus Christ. Look at Acts 28, 30, and 31 again. He, Paul, lived there two whole years at his own expense. So 
Very normal life, right? How many of you are living on your own expenses? Most of you, some of you still may be getting a little bit of help from your parents. That's good. Take it as long as you can get it. But it says he lived there two whole years at his own expense. So Paul is working a job, making money. He's paying his rent. And what's he doing? He's welcoming all who come to him. He opens up this home and he welcomes people in to do what? To proclaim the kingdom of God and teach them about the Lord Jesus Christ with all, with all boldness and without hindrance. So where is the kingdom of God? It's living within us and ex- experienced by others when we open up our homes and we let people in. When we open up our lives and we share a meal with others. When we enjoy a laugh. When we enjoy time with other people. When we weep together. Romans says that we should weep with those who weep and mourn with those who mourn and rejoice with those who rejoice. So the kingdom of God is experienced by the world when we do that, when we open up our home, when we have people in, and when we specifically open up our mouths and proclaim the gospel, the kingdom of God, the good news of God's rule and reign. Where is the kingdom of God? It's here among us this morning. How do we receive the kingdom of God? If that's true, what is the kingdom of God? It's him ruling and reigning and drawing all peoples of the world to himself. Where is the kingdom of God? It's here and there. It's now and not yet. It's within us and it's making its way around the globe. The gospel is growing and inviting people into this glorious kingdom. How do you come into this kingdom? How do you receive the kingdom of God? I think there's a clue here in Acts 28. Verse 26 and 27, which I already read, but let's read it again. The prophet Isaiah, quoted by Paul, says this, Go to the people and say, You will indeed hear, but never understand. And you will indeed see, but never perceive. For this people's heart has grown dull, and with their ears they can barely hear. And their eyes have closed, lest they should see with their eyes and hear with their ears and understand with their hearts and turn and I would heal them. So how do you receive the kingdom of God? You see it, and you perceive it. You, you, you begin to understand what's happening. You hear it, you hear the gospel proclaimed, and you begin to believe it, and receive it, and understand it. And your heart begins to open to it. And this is the mysterious nature of the gospel. Any of you who, who came to know Jesus maybe a little bit later in your life, that it was God's work in your life making Jesus glorious and attractive to you. It wasn't a great presentation that you heard by somebody. It was all of a sudden God started making himself attractive to you. And where you were once hard-hearted to God, you would see the works of God around you. You would see the, the fruit of the Holy Spirit in Christians, but you wouldn't perceive it. You didn't know. You thought maybe they were good moral people. You didn't understand it was Christ in them the hope of glory, making them new. You would hear the gospel, and it would sound like foolishness to you. Because it does, right? I mean, we're all created in the image of God, and then some snake lied to some people, and they ate an apple, and now sin is wreaking havoc on the world, and the only way is that this God would send his only one and son, Jesus Christ, and he lived a perfect life. He was born of a virgin, and he was 100% God, 100%. It's crazy, It's foolishness without the Holy Spirit. I heard one pastor say, stop worrying about your gospel presentation. You ain't going to pretty that thing up because it's foolishness to the world. 
But to those who are being saved, it is the wisdom of God. And so what does it mean to receive the kingdom of God? It means that God softens our heart, that God opens our eyes, that God opens our ears, and we receive him as Lord and Savior. It doesn't mean that we check all of our questions off all of the boxes. In fact, ask any Christian, we have questions. I, I don't know half the things that I teach. I mean, I know Jesus, so that's why I pretty much teach him, and sometimes people get frustrated that I don't teach other things, but it's what I know. I know Jesus. How do you receive the kingdom of God? You pray and you ask that God would open your eyes, open your ears, soften your heart, that his kingdom would come in and begin to uproot your life and plant where there used to be thistles and thorns that he would plant flowers where, where there was a desert that now there would be a garden. You receive the kingdom of God through faith in Jesus Christ. How do we advance the kingdom of God? I think we see in this passage also that there is a call. We, we know that from Acts. We've been in Acts for months. We know that the call to Christians is to advance the kingdom of God or advance the gospel. The subtitle of our sermon series is Gospel Growth. If you're not a Christian and you're here today, there's no secret. We want you to become a Christian. We believe that in Jesus Christ is eternal life and hope, that he is the abundant life here and now and for eternity. And so we want you to have your eyes opened, your ears open, and your heart softened to Jesus Christ. And so how do we advance the kingdom of God? We do believe that's our mission. We as a church aren't to go out into the world be, being passively aggressive with this Jesus guy, just not wanting to offend people. We are to go out boldly without hindrance like Paul or we're to have people come into our home boldly and without hindrance like Paul and proclaiming to them what? A message of hope and life. Jesus said, I came not to condemn the world but to save the world. And he says, I came to offer life and offer it abundantly. So what if we went out with boldness, without hindrance, proclaiming that to a world who desperately needs hope and life and truth? So we are called to advance the kingdom of God. How do we do it? By living in Christ. More so in him than for him. Now, I believe that's a false dichotomy. It's both in and for. We can live our lives for Christ. But I think for much of my life, I've tried to follow Jesus. You know, he's up here and I'm behind him. I'm following him. But the glorious truth of the gospel that I'm getting more and more every day is that he's in me and I'm in him. I don't have to drag my feet behind him. He's in me. If I'm moving forward, it's because he's propelling me forward. And so how do we advance the gospel? By living in him. By believing that our identity is secure, that Christ is in us, the hope of glory. We've been baptized into the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. He's alive within us. And so we advance the kingdom of God by living in him, remembering that identity. We are sons and daughters of God. We are brothers and sisters of one another, and then we go out in him as neighbors and witnesses, welcoming all the people of the world into our homes, into our lives, as we proclaim the gospel. We advance the kingdom of God day by day, living our lives in Christ, opening up our homes, opening up our lives, inviting people in, letting them see our weaknesses, letting them see our fears, letting them see our struggles, and proclaiming Jesus, the hope of of glory who lives within us. It's not through programs, it's not through events, it's not through building bigger buildings, it's not through any of that. And some of that can aid in this. 
there's a time and a place to think through organization and structure and buildings and how we do what we do, but the most profound way that we advance the kingdom of God is by opening up our life and letting people see that we are not righteous in and of ourselves. In fact, the scriptures say that all of our righteousness is like filthy rags. So we're not opening up our lives so that people could see how good we are and want to become like us because if you open up your life, people are going to start to see how, how good you aren't and then they're going to say, what's so great about you? And you'll say, nothing. Jesus has redeemed me. Jesus loves me. The kingdom of God is alive within me and he has invited you into it to receive the abundant life. That's how we advance the kingdom of God. Lastly, how do we express the kingdom of God? This could go on forever. There's hundreds of ways we can express the kingdom of God. Remember, the kingdom of God is the rule and reign of God through the person of Jesus Christ and and, and lived out through us, his followers, around the world. How do we express it? By loving the poor, by seeking justice, by justice, by caring for the broken, by opening up our homes, by opening up our lives, by giving our possessions, by praying for somebody who needs prayer, by proclaiming the gospel to someone who needs hope. You could go on and on and on on this point about how do we express the kingdom of God. I mean, we seriously could list this out for hours, and, and, I, and I hope you do. I hope you take that, bring that home and say, how can I today express the kingdom of God to my neighbors? who need to taste and see that the Lord is good. There's a hundred ways that we could do it, but two ways I just want to close us with looking at is baptism and communion. These are two glorious ways that we express the kingdom of God. Last week, we got to watch five individuals get baptized here at church. What a great expression of the kingdom of God. Amen? It symbolized their union with Christ, for they are dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus. They were baptized into the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. They expressed the kingdom of God is growing and alive within them. It's growing around the world. They express that through baptism. And then the second way is communion, which we're going to observe in just a minute. Communion is a way for us to express the kingdom of God. It's a way for us to communicate to one another that Jesus is alive in us. Jesus, the hope of glory, dwells within us. And Jesus came and did all that he said he would do. All of the Old Testament scriptures point to him. And he came to usher in the kingdom of God. And so when we take communion, we remember that the kingdom of God is at hand. That the kingdom of God is within us. That the kingdom of God is an already and a not yet reality. Look at Acts, uh, not Acts, Luke. Luke chapter 22 with me. And let's hear Jesus explain this to us. Luke chapter 22, verses 14 through 20. It's on page 882 in the Pew Bible. And when the hour came, he, Jesus, reclined at table and the apostles with him. And he said to them, I have earnestly desired to eat this Passover with you before I suffer. For I tell you, I will not eat it until it is fulfilled in the kingdom of God. And he took a cup, and when he had given thanks, he said, Take this and divide it among yourselves. For I tell you that from now on I will not drink of the fruit that comes from the vine until the kingdom of God comes. 
And so Jesus sits with his disciples, sits with his followers, and they're having the Passover meal. It's a common meal. It's nothing like what we're doing here. It's, it's a meal that they're enjoying for hours, and it's a full meal, and, and they're enjoying this time together. And he says, I will not eat of this meal again until it's fulfilled in the kingdom of God. Yet he's been teaching that the kingdom of God is at hand. So Jesus is saying, it is here now among you, but there will come a greater day in the future when it's consummated, and I will be with you in your presence again. And until that day, I'm going to abstain from this meal. And until that day, I'm going to abstain from the fruit of the vine. But when we are together again, I will partake, because you, my beloved, will be with me. And so Jesus is fasting from this meal right now. Jesus isn't having the Lord's Supper. He's not taking communion until the great marriage supper of the Lamb, which we read about in Revelation 19. But he tells us to do it in remembrance of him. So he's saying, I want you to do this to remember that the kingdom of God is at hand, that the kingdom of God is at work in you, making you new, and the kingdom of God is also in the future. It's going to be consummated through me, and someday we will be together. You will be in my very presence, and we will eat and drink together without without pain, without tears, without suffering. And so we express the kingdom of God as we take communion. It reminds us that we've been made new, that we have new life in Jesus Christ, that Christ, the hope of glory, lives in us and dwells in us, that he, in fact, paid the penalty for our sins on the cross, and he, entered, he welcomed us in. We can enter into his presence. And so as we take communion this morning, remember that. It's a sign that the kingdom of God is at hand, that the kingdom of God is working in you, And that the kingdom of God is to go out into our neighborhoods and into our cities and into our world to bring healing to the nations, to bring unity to a people who are disunified, to heal the sick, to mend the broken, to give hope to the hopeless, to give a future to those who can't see beyond their next paycheck. The kingdom of God is good news for the world. He has invited us in. It says, as you take this meal, remember that I'm living in you and that I'm sending you out to proclaim the kingdom of God without hindrance and all boldness to the world who desperately needs it. I'm going to pray. The worship team is going to come back up and just lead us through a time of worship through music and communion. And the kids are coming back in. And if, if, uh, if you know that your kid is ready to take communion, they're welcome to take it as well. This is called intinction, which means you rip a little piece of the bread off dip it in the cup and take it. And come whenever you, whenever you feel ready. Um, we do believe that communion is for believers, those who have placed their faith in Jesus Christ, as a sign that we're united with him. He gave it to his followers and said, do this as often as you remember me. And so if you're not a believer in Jesus Christ, we invite you to receive him, to let the kingdom of God begin to take root in your life. And you can do that here and now by just placing your faith and trust in him. I'd love to talk with you afterward if you do that for the first time today and, uh, and come and receive him and be reminded that we're in him, he's in us, and the kingdom of God is living and active. Amen, let's pray. Jesus, we thank you for leaving your throne in heaven where the angels were giving you all praise and glory and honor. And it was comfortable. And it was warm. 
and it was glorious. And you were born in humble circumstances, in a barn, in a manger, among a backwoods people, without prominence, without prestige. And you lived a simple, humble life as a carpenter, learning to obey God the Father, teaching and proclaiming about the kingdom of God, and then ultimately being raised up as a king on a cross rather than a throne, that we might be welcomed into this kingdom. And so as we observe communion, I pray that it would be a very practical reminder and expression of the kingdom of God among us. I pray that it would nourish our spirits and our soul as we are reminded that you are alive, that you overcame sin and death in the grave, and in you we do as well. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.